Amen. I invite you to be seated and release the children through grade four as they head off to Children's Church. So glad they're here. Thank you, everybody who sent me texts. I appreciate it. And um, I have left my phone on the chair over there. It was slightly distracting, and be careful what you ask for is the moral to that, th- that story, right? All right. <laughs> uh, it's not good for men to be alone. Okay. We're in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And if you were with us last week, you know that we started here, and uh, we're going to continue as we look at this passage. And just as we've looked this year at our, our verses for the year and, and what those are, and they're up on the screen there for you, maybe we could read them together uh, out loud. Psalm 96, 2 through 3. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. The picture that we've chosen for this year is the idea that's proclaiming his salvation day after day, that in, in the by, highways and byways, as we're in coffee shops, as we're, as we're around, as we're on the phone, whatever it may be, that we're, we're finding ways to proclaim the salvation of the Lord, as the salvation that he's brought to us and finding ways to proclaim that to others. And along that line, we've come up with this letting, uh, letting our stories declare his glory. And that's kind of what we're looking at this year. On the card that you've given and on the front of your bulletin is a prayer that we're praying together. And I hope you're praying this with us. And I'd like to ask you to just pray it now. And, and we'll pray it out loud. And so just it'll be up on the screens there. Dear God, please move in our hearts this year. Help us learn how each of our stories is woven together for your glory. Help us learn how to proclaim your salvation day after day in all we do. Help us declare your marvelous deeds and your glory in all the nations. Help us keep our eyes fixed on you. Please add to our number daily those who are being saved. Amen and amen. Add to our number daily those who are being saved. And that's part of why we're looking at this this passage in Acts chapter 2. Because it ends with that line. It ends with that sentence. The Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Tozer has said, whatever has happened anywhere can happen. Whatever God has done anywhere, God can do here. Whatever God's done through anyone, he can do through us. Whatever God's done at any time, he can do now. And if it's true that God added to their number daily those who are being saved, I believe, I believe that that same God can add to our number daily those who are being saved. Do you believe that? And so what does that look like? As we, as we look at the context of that sentence, it's found right in the middle of this powerful paragraph that Luke uses to explain what was going on in the infancy of the church. 
And in these first three to five years as the church was formed, what are the identifying characteristics of that church and what do those look like? And as we see those things, can we use those in some way to help us determine are we living out the purpose that God has designed for us to have? Do we have the type of community, biblical community that's spoken of here that could be a transformational community? that could transform not only each of our lives, but transform our church and transform our county and transform our world. Because you'll remember that, that this group of people that started out with 100 or so, and the first day 3,000 were added, that, that this is the group of people that God used to change the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what if... What if we believed the way they believed? What if we lived in the type of community that they lived in? And we understand we're in a different culture, so it's going to look somewhat differently for us. But what would it look like if we were able to determine that and bring that here? What could God do in our midst so last week we looked at the truth that the transformational community shares a common devotion, learning, loving, obeying, and submitting, and a, and, a, and a common belief, the belief that Jesus Christ has come to rescue us, and those who've accepted him as their savior have assurance of eternity with him and his presence in their life right now, the already and not yet aspect of our salvation. Let's read the passage again. X42 or X242 they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles all the believers were together and had everything in common selling their possessions and good they gave to anyone as he had need and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. So God, as we look to your word, I pray that, Lord, you'd speak. You promised that you would. You promised that every time we open your, your word, we have an opportunity to hear that which you're speaking to us. And Lord, you know each person in this room, and you know what you want them to hear through your word today. Speak to us, Lord. Help us hear. Help our hearts and our minds be open to that, I pray in your name. Amen. Today, as we move on, we look at this common unity, this, this common unity that happens in this covenant relationship, and we see this transformational community shares a common purpose. Transformational community shares a common purpose. And we see that in, in verse 44 where they say they were together and had everything in common. They were together and they had everything in common. This is talking about the believers here as they were together. Now, Tertullian, which is one of the early church fathers from 200, and I found this, this wonderful quote. And, and Tertullian said this, we call ourselves brothers. So we who are united in, in mind and soul have no hesitation about sharing what we have. Everything is common among us except our wives. <laughs> Isn't that a great quote? 
Now, that means something completely different for us than it did at that point in time. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to have everything in common with you, but Karen's mine. Amen. But you understand back then, sharing wives wasn't all that unusual. So in this quote, there's powerful statements being made. One is the fact that, yes, we have everything in common. But the second thing is, because of Jesus Christ and because of the truth of God, we have a standard here that's different than what's going on in the culture. And so this quote says that, yes, we have everything in common, this purpose that we have, this thing that we have in common is this purpose is that everything we have we're on the same page with. Even our understanding of that which is right and wrong, which is permissible and unpermissible. Paul, or Luke goes on in, in chapter 4 in another, another um, overarching um, paragraph. Uh, he says this in, in verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had, and there were no needy persons among them. They, they were one in heart, one in heart and one in mind. This, this idea of their purpose, they, in, in heart and mind, they were the same. Paul breaks this down a little bit more in 1 Corinthians 12 when he says, you're all, you're, you're the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And that passage, it's, it's, it's so good in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and, and, and it's, it's Paul talking about, about the church being the body of Christ. And, and the beautiful thing about that, that metaphor when we look at it is, is we can understand that, we can get it. We can know what that means. And he says the body's a unit. Though it's made up of many parts and all its parts, uh, and its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. The body is not made up of one part, but many. All right? And, and we begin to get a picture here of what God has designed this transformational community to look like. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me. And there's a great truth to that. But he died for you too. <laughs> he didn't die just for me. Now it's important that I understand that Jesus died for me so that I can come to the place where I can enter into this personal relationship with him that he's designed for me to have and it's the most important relationship that I can have. And it's this deeply personal relationship that I have with Jesus Christ. But it is not a private relationship. And as, as each one of us who come to know the Lord as our Savior have this, this relationship with him that's deeply personal and it's a beautiful thing, but listen, it's not private. It is impossible for you to be saved apart from the church. You, can, you cannot be saved apart from the church. And you're like, what does that mean? That's what Paul is trying to help this, this church in Corinth understand. It is not possible to be saved apart from the church because, listen, once you come to a point in your life where you say, Lord, God, I understand that I'm a sinner. I understand the things that I've done have separated, have separated me from you. 
And I understand that, that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin, and I ask that you forgive me, and I accept Jesus as my Savior. At that point in time, you become a follower of Jesus Christ, and you're, you're accepted into the family of God, and you become a part of the body of Christ. And, and you're not like, I got saved, but I'm not a part of the body. You are. And, and Paul says it like this. He says, uh, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Okay, if, if my head says, okay, I'm going to walk down there, and my feet say no, I need my feet to get down there. And so once you come to this place where you, you trust Jesus as your Savior, you become a part of the body of Christ. And you have everything in common with this body. There's this common unity. There's this purpose. And you'll remember this summer maybe when we looked at at Philippians. And we looked at at Philippians chapter 2 in your notes there. It says, being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. Listen, the purpose of the body of Christ is, is, is to tell as many people as possible about Jesus. The purpose of the church is to go out and proclaim the truth of the gospel that Jesus Christ came to rescue people from the pain that they're in, from from their penalty of sin, to to bring them into a reconciled relationship with God the Father. It's the purpose of the church. The church was formed by the gospel to proclaim the gospel. And the head, Jesus, is calling the body to do the work that he came to do to seek and save the lost. And so when our purpose gets that common purpose, when we get everything we have together behind this this common purpose of telling as many people as possible the beautiful truth of Jesus, it causes us to have a longing and a hunger to know more about who Jesus is so that we're able to proclaim that with great clarity. How does that play out in in my life, in our lives? Do I have a common purpose with the community? Is the purpose of my life in line with the purpose of the community? Are Are you living out your purpose? If if someone were to come up and ask you, what's What's the purpose of your life? What is the purpose of your life? Oh, man, we live in a world that's filled with distractions, don't we? And the purpose of my life can be, can be so distorted by the distractions that come in and the things that vie for my attention, this, this, the problems that I have at my job or my relationships or, or my finances or, or my health or all these things can come in and distract us from our purpose. But if we understand that our purpose is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, then listen, everything that happens to us is just a circumstance that can be used by God for us to fulfill our purpose. Because our purpose is not to be healthy. Our purpose is not to be, that's not our, our purpose is to proclaim the gospel in whatever circumstance we're in. And when we get that as a common unity, then instead of just one or two or three people doing that, we're all doing that. 
you can see from the text what God is able to do through a community that's united like that. Now, it's hard for us because we live in this, in this day and age where, where individualism just is so important. And I can use that as an excuse, but the bottom line is I'm selfish. And I want to take care of me first and then you. And that's why the next point is so important. Because transformational community shares a common heart of giving. Selling all their possessions and giving to anyone as he had need. You see, this, this idea, once, once I've been transformed by, by, the, by the blood of Jesus Christ, once I've become a new creation, the old's gone, the new has come, there's a heart of giving that wells up inside of me and starts to flow out of me. And, and that's what happened to this church. This early church was so overtaken by what had happened to them that they put everything together. They had it all in common and they sold what they could have as in order to support others. What's hard for us to understand is in, in the, the place we live, generally speaking, if someone comes to know the Lord, there's not a whole lot they have to give up. Oh, they... We understand in, in our minds that's what we think. We have to put to death everything that we have and give ourselves fully to the Lord. But as far as giving things up, at this point in time, if someone, if someone would have converted to Christianity, they would have had to give up everything. They would have had to given up their livelihood. They would have had to given up their families, perhaps. And so as someone came into the family of God, they were putting away so much of that family and that community that they had before, they would have given that up. And some of them would have to give up their careers so that they couldn't even have a job anymore. And those were the people who would be in need here. And the, and the believers that were together were so aware of what was going on in people's lives that they would jump in and help wherever they could. Selling all their possessions. Now, this is a, a, a change as we're moving from the old covenant to the new covenant. And, and, and we're moving from, from the worship in the temple to, to worship in, in churches and cathedrals. And, but here's the beauty of this that we cannot lose. The birth of the church happened among Jews and those who had converted to Judaism. And that's the birth of the church. And they, they were in the temple courts and they were still worshiping in the temple courts. They were still worshiping in the temple. And they were still participating in what was happening in the temple. As they were wrestling through, what does this, what does this new covenant that Jesus has established, what does that look like? There were Pharisees who had come to them. There were, there were all these rulers in the law and all these things who had come and said, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And they became part of the church, but they, they're left with this, what do we do with all these sacrificial systems and, the, and, and, and the, the things that have been required for us before? And as they wrestled through those things and making those, 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 those discernments from those things that the Holy Spirit had taught them, and part of that was, was to support the temple with the tithe, just as they always had done. That first tenth of what they had been given, that they would bring that to the temple and, and they would offer that, just as all of us are called to do, to bring that, that first tenth to the Lord. And so they would have done that. But in addition to that, 
was this, this heart of giving that just permeated them. So now instead of doing this out of obligation or instead of doing this out of a requirement of the law, it was a heart of giving that had come to them. As the Holy Spirit comes in your life, there's a heart of generosity that comes in. And I think, I think if you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we see, we see why it is that, that the, the church... That the people in the church have such a heart of giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. It says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. You see, the church was birthed on the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of giving. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And, and Jesus, who had all the riches of heaven, all the riches of heaven were his, came down and, and left all those riches behind and came and became the poorest of the poor and took on the very nature of a servant and gave himself for us in total poverty so that we could have part of the riches of heaven. Thank you, John. That's the gospel. The gospel gives. And when we've been overtaken by the gospel, all we can do is be overtaken by a heart that longs to give. And so if, if there's a part of you that doesn't want to give, you don't want to give financially, you don't want to give of your time, you don't want to give of your talents, you don't want to give of that which you know. You don't want to share the gospel with someone. Listen, that part of you that doesn't want to give is not part of your new nature. That's part of your old nature. That's part of your old selfish nature. I know that part. But see, what happens in community is there's this heart of generosity that wells up inside of us as we remember the fact that we've been purchased for the purpose of giving. Remember in Mark chapter 10, a rich young ruler came up to Jesus. He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, sell everything. Give it away and then come follow me. And the rich young ruler went away sad because he had great wealth. I think in some ways what Jesus said to him, get rid of the things that own you and follow me. How many of the things that you own really just own you? Ugh, so much of my stuff owns me and it distracts me from my purpose. And so the more that I can, I can hold it loosely. And the idea here in this, in this church is not that everybody sold everything they had. It wasn't like they had a giant Jerusalem rummage sale day. And, you know, and, and, and that's not what, what I'm calling us to here. What I'm calling us to is, is understanding that everything that has been placed in your hands has been placed there by the Father. And it's His. And as we walk in community and we understand that there's a need, then we say, what do I have that could contribute to that need? 
What have I been stewarding that now needs to be stewarded by someone else? What has my father entrusted to me that now my father wants to give to one of his other children? And we begin to think about it that way. All of a sudden, it's easy to go back and forth. So that if someone needs my car, I'm able to hand them my car keys and say, go ahead. That's why I drive old cars. It's much easier. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Okay. I have a quote for you from Julian. Julian the Apostate. Julian the Apostate, and this quote is from about 361 A.D., so about 300 years after the birth of the church. And Julian the Apostate is the nephew of Constantine. Constantine was the first Roman emperor who embraced Christianity, met Jesus, changed his life, and said, I have so much authority, everyone's going to be a Christian. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't work that way. And of course, we've been stuck with the consequences of that ever since. But Julian the Apostate was his nephew, and through a series of events, he ended up being the next ruler. And he had it in his heart to move, to move the Roman Empire back to paganism. And so he was working hard to determine how is it that we can move the Roman Empire back to paganism because it was so good then. And, and it's obviously what it's supposed to be. And so he thought the best way to do that was to study Christianity. Because if he studied Christianity because it had taken over so much that if they could do the things that Christianity did, it could bring paganism back to the Roman Empire. And so he he wrote and he said this. Why do we not observe that it is in the Christians' benevolence to strangers, their cares for the grave of the dead, and their pretended holiness of their lives that they have done the most to increase atheism. Okay? Now now catch this. Okay? It's through uh, their care, uh, I'm sorry, benevolence, care of the graves, and pretended holiness that they have increased atheism. Now understand, in his mind, They weren't worshiping the Roman gods, so they were atheists. So at that point in time, Christians were considered atheists because they weren't worshiping the Roman gods. And this community that they had, the the common unity, and listen, this is 300 years later, had so impacted the Roman Empire that they were trying to figure out how can we be like this so we can put Christianity off. When the impious Galatians support not only their own poor, but ours as well, all men see that our people lack aid from us. Listen, once you come to know Jesus, your heart changes. Not about you anymore. It's about God. And it's about what God's doing in the world and how you can join in with him. And the idea of the church saying, how can we do that? And as we have this common unity, as we are together in this, we 
have much more of an impact. Because going back to that body metaphor, if I wake up in the middle of the night and I slam my toe against the bedpost, my whole body suffers with me. So does Karen's. (laughs) You get the idea? You see? Not only do I suffer, but those I'm closest to. And then it starts to trickle out. And pretty soon, if it's, if it's that good here, then it starts to trickle out into the other churches and into the church of the body of Christ. That's why this, this idea of community is so important. So do I see that a, a heart of giving is first a heart of selflessness that places the needs of the community above my own comfort, my own sense of security? Transformational community shares a common perseverance. A common perseverance. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Every day they met together. And again, uh, this was their custom. And it's a beautiful thing to think about. Average church attendance 20 years ago was three times a week. Now it's two or three times a month. In Hebrews, the author says this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Do not give up meeting together as some of you are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. The day is approaching when Jesus will come back to take us to be with himself. And it's closer today than it was yesterday. And it's approaching And all the more as we see that day approaching, we need to be meeting together. Why? So we can spur one another on to love and good deeds. King James says provoke. When was the last time you provoked somebody to something positive? Spurring one another on. It's the importance of this. Do you need to come to church? You do. We do. We need to be together. Don't give up meeting together. Some are in the habit of doing. We need to be encouraged. Listen, I I need to have the encouragement of others. We need to encourage one another. We're not going to naturally do these things. We're not. You watch the... You watch the the nature shows. Maybe you've seen clips, right? And the, the lions are hungry. And they're, they're headed out, and they're going to go into the herd, and they're, they're going to get their next meal, and they go right into the center of the herd and grab the healthiest one. No, they peel them off to the side. Which one can we get alone over here? Because when they're alone, they're weak. When they're alone, they're susceptible. When they're alone, see, don't give up meeting together. Listen, you're not going to be encouraged to do these things if you don't find time for community, we need to persevere. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I'm sure lots of you know it. It says this. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us Run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. 
See, there's that, that individual aspect of our salvation, yes, but there's this we-ness, if there's such a word, this us-ness of community. It, it, it's us. Let us run this race with perseverance. It's not like, Meryl, go run. God bless you. It's like, I'm here. Let's go. Let's run. Let us persevere. They had a common perseverance. The last thing for today I see in our text is that the transformational community shares a common joy in relationships. They broke bread together in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I'm so glad this is in here. I love eating with a glad and sincere heart, don't you? But this speaks to the fact of where's your closest relationships? Where are your closest relationships found? Are your closest relationships found in the body or outside of the body? Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses and stop sinning. Bad company corrupts good character. Where are your most intimate relationships? And are those found within the body of Christ? Are the, the people that, that, that have your ear and, and those people whose ear you have are are you like-minded with the same purpose? So that, so that when, when you start going down a path that takes you away from the purpose you've been designed for, that person's able to say, whoa, that's not what we're about. No, 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 come back. Remember, Jesus loves you. And Jesus has a purpose for you. This is what we're about. We're not going there. We're not doing that. We're not going to think that way. Because it's too important for the community that we're thinking correctly. Broke bread in their homes, even outside of this. You know, we used to be a lot better at this, didn't we? Having people over. We weren't so busy. What does it look like to have people over to your home? That's part of this whole small group thing. Get some people into your home. You know, it's real easy here you can slip in at, you know, 1047 and you're out during the last song. Whew, made it. But when we're sitting across the table from each other, eyeball to eyeball, it's like, how's your devotion life going? How much time are you spending with Jesus? When was the last time you told someone about your faith. How's, how's your marriage? How's your relationship with your kids? What's going on in your life? See, when, when we get into a place where we say, okay, community is about exposure. We don't like that. This, this, this church that, that Jesus formed, purchased with his blood, the identifying characteristics of this church, they had a devotion to common teaching, 
to fellowship, breaking of bread, to prayer. They had a, a common belief. They had, they had a, a common purpose, a common heart of giving. They had, they had a, a, a common perseverance and a common joy in intimate relationships. How are we doing on that? And the way we judge how we're doing is judging by how each one of us is doing. And how are we bringing each other along? And the reason is, it's all about the gospel. It's all about telling people about Jesus. So part three, the message next week, and we're gonna see what happens when we have all of these things going on in our community. What happens and what does God do? Guys are going to come up. We're going to sing a song. It's an oldie and a goodie. About telling our story. I love that across the generations, there's this incredible understanding and this truth that the story that we've been given that has the most power is the story of God. The story of God's working in our lives. If someone were to come up to you and say, what's your favorite story? What would you say? What would you say? This is my favorite story. What story do you love to tell? I have a couple of jokes that I think are incredible, and I love to tell them, and Karen reminds me often they're not worth telling. But <laughs> what is the story that you love to tell? And how does it overwhelm and flow from you? This, you remember a few weeks ago we talked about how creation sings on its tiptoes? This is one of those songs you can't sing sitting down. You got to stand up. Ready? Set? Go? All right. Amen. Let's do it.